the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I am Seth Leibson, and it is a delight to be joined uh, by Pete Peterson, the dean and the Brown Family Dean's Chair at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Every Friday I wake up knowing I get to talk to Pete. I know it's going to be a great Friday. Pete, the only problem is, first of all, welcome, but the only problem is, uh, you know, the things I want to discuss with you in our hour uh, are going to take about 10 years. (laughs) <laughs> There's about 10 years of things I need to cram in with you. <laughs> agree, agree. Well, I, I love the fact that we get a get a chance to continue the conversation. I think it keeps uh, you know, me psychologically healthy knowing that I can talk to you and that there are universities with you at the head of them, people like you at the head of them. Uh, first of all, I I, I didn't I, I wasn't following this, and then I just noticed it. You you, you put out a tweet. Uh, I guess the San Francisco mayor appointed a new uh, new district attorney, or at least an interim district attorney, in Brooke Jenkins. Right. Right. That's this correct. this this looks to me like a pretty bold move, as I understand it. I'll let you explain it. You you would know it better. But Brooke was kind of someone who had resigned under the previous administration, right, and made a big stink of it and helped effort the recall. But I may be that's wrong, correct. and I'll let you straighten us out on this. No, that's right. And actually, there's other recall news I'll get into in okay. a second. But okay. suffice it to say, um, it's, a, it's a fairly dramatic swing yeah. in who is now going to be, right, still a, interim at this point, but uh, the, the DA uh, in Ms. Jenks. Jenkins is uh, certainly a significant change from Chase Boudin and shows that the mayor got the message that um, simply swapping one person out for another with the same position on crime and criminal justice was not going to do it. And so uh, uh, Mayor Bree did select someone who was indeed involved in uh, the recall effort, and uh, so there's uh, almost literally and figuratively a new sheriff in town. Um, uh, on that, worth- on that, Pete, for a quick sec, if you don't mind, that Brooke, yep. Jen- that so Brooke Jenkins, I have it right. She was uh, at least one of the faces or one of the voices in leading the recall effort against her predecessor, right? That's right. So yeah, this correct. really is a big deal because. She now has to live by the words she said in that. I mean, there's the, the accountability here is high. I, I, I'm very nervous and skeptical about these these uh, these replacements from the likes of Mayor Breed. There's an old is it Buddhist? I think it's Buddhist uh, saying that when you leap for joy, make sure no one is removing the ground from beneath you. But <laughs> but but this really is one that 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 has accountability attached all over it, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, it does. Yeah, okay. Again, it, it does show that uh, the recall is one level of accountability, but if Mayor Breed had simply gone to get somebody else who was uh, supporting a rather progressive mindset in criminal justice policy, uh, she would have been the next one yeah. on the hook. Yeah. And so uh, definitely a significant change in the approach to uh, crime in San Francisco. 
Okay, good. Uh, I, I stopped your thought process. I'm sorry about that. No, you I was just going to say that no. the next big step is that uh, the recall signatures hit their deadline here in the City of Angels. And while uh, to recall uh, George Gascon, the former DA from San Francisco, who is now uh, the DA in Los Angeles. I don't think people and, realize that. This guy does his depredations in San Francisco only to move south to do it to bring it there, right? Exactly right. You, you understand and, our concern in Arizona. We don't want anyone else moving further south than that. You, you get that, right? Okay. All right. All right. Go ahead. Well, Carpet bag. You know, yeah. he may be looking for a new job yeah. because uh, <laughs> whereas they, they needed about uh, 550,000 signatures, uh, on the deadline, they brought in over 700,000. Oh, wow. wow. And so it looks uh, very much like uh, his recall will be going to the ballot this November. So it may be the case that uh, both of these very progressive DAs in two of California's largest cities, if not America's largest cities, uh, may recall. Well, I, I mean, great news for the, for your communities. I, I I had this thought, and you'll forgive me for it. Um, a lot of we and a lot of us in Arizona take our summer vacations in California, and it's a lot like talking to Jews in America about Israel. Visit, sure, but to live there, <laughs> they say. Yeah. And, and I sometimes wonder if um, if you're an advocate. I mean, moving to California, people aren't moving there, Pete. And the exodus is huge, and I and I get it. There's a lot to recommend it. But when you look, for example, at this fight, I don't know if you saw it last weekend, between Governor Newsom and, and Florida, did you see this ad campaign he ran in Florida? Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's an utter embarrassment, really. It's um, somewhat telling, though, when he talks about he, – he says in the ad, Republican leaders are banning books, making it harder to vote, restricting speech in classrooms, even criminalizing women and doctors in Florida. And what I thought interesting about that, Pete, see, see if you agree or follow me here. If, if Newsom is running for president – uh, for 2024, and he's thinking he may be going up against DeSantis, which I, th- I think it's an even bet that that could happen. Um, yep. He's clearly not going to run or be able to run on the economic issues uh, in California. Right. He, he just can't, and he would be stupid to. And he's here showing that he wants a fight on the cultural issues. He wants to be seen perhaps as the, as the, as the flag carrier for the cultural left. Boy, yep. that would be an interesting presidential fight to put those cultural issues square fold in front of the American people like that, wouldn't it? Well, it really would. And, of course, the latest cultural issue, I don't know if this news has hit you, but the the latest maelstrom that our governor has gotten himself into is that he and his family have gone on vacation yes. to the great state yes. of Montana, yes. which uh, is one of those <laughs> – targeted red states that the state of California in its government has said they will not engage in government contracts with or allow travel to as I understand it state employees can't social issues now of course the governor and his family can travel anywhere they want but it is obviously being shown that there's a little duplicity there as one who supports these culture war issues as you've rightly pointed out But in his personal life, whether it's the trip to the French Laundry, uh, that uh, super expensive uh, wine valley restaurant in Northern California while everybody else was under lockdown, 
or trips like this where he's going to a state that everybody knows is really one, especially in the summer, one of America's real beautiful places to go. But the state itself has these ridiculous culture war mandates around who we will do uh, public business with. Uh, but once again, the governor seems to have this uh, almost, um, I don't know, genetic flaw about uh, not being forthcoming when initially revealed for not being consistent. And I, I do think that it's very likely he will throw his hat in uh, to run for the presidency in 24. And that quality of his, um, which, again, this lack of consistency on the culture war issues is is one I think that uh, bears watching. It may, let me stay on this for a moment with you, if I can, Pete. Um, I had a, a question. I'll come back to it. Let me stay on that point you just made because you know I'm watching a lot of what the left, when they're in power, the Democratic Party in Washington has been doing on things, whether it's CDC and information or Fauci giving misinformation or information that turns out to be misinformation or Joe Biden screwing up a fact or even, you know, promising things that he can't do or putting the fault on things that his Fed chairman says is not the fault of the I mean, it seems as if they just don't care whether they're fact checked or not. It seems as if they don't care whether they're telling us the truth or not. Because it seems, I don't know, that they have enough water carriers in the elite culture and sometimes um, the media. I say sometimes because it's just a little bit shady now. But, you know, the media has been carrying that water for It seems as if they don't care about the duplicity. And I wonder if you're seeing that. It may. Oh, in other absolutely. words, I guess I'm saying I'm with you on Newsom's. I just don't. Maybe he's banking on the fact that he'll get the same exemptions Kamala and Joe have gotten. Well, it, it is certainly probable and certainly uh the the democrats whoever the nominee ends up being has a certain level of of cushion and yeah. margin for yeah. error when it comes to these issues no doubt about it you're completely right i mean just look at the orchestration around the don't say gay bill yeah right uh, right 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 and, right, right. You know, just a case in point where uh, not only water carriers for the left, but seeking opportunities yes. to drive out the right on some of these issues and, and create instances where there's really no there there. Uh, you're right about that. But in the end, you know, Newsom has got to get through Iowa and New Hampshire yes, yes, and South Carolina. Yes, yes. And those states are just not California. No, they're not. It's a good point. Let me take a quick break. Let's come back on a bunch of this when we come back. And I want to do some crime, other crime stuff with you, some other culture stuff. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Pete Peterson. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. These schools we talk about and the problems they have, Pepperdine is the answer. If you're looking to enter a career or learn about public policy, you will do no better. And they have no better leader. I'm Seth. He's Pete. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson, the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter. It's a fabulously active uh, and uh, great Twitter feed, at Pete, the number 4 and CA, at Pete, 4 CA. Pete, you do a lot of radio uh you you can say objectively this is the best bumper music in, in the business on my show, can't you? You can absolutely. Say that. Okay. All right. Second to none. Right. Send, send, Second that, to send none. that send that over to Hewitt, will you, Bill? Please. Okay, thank you. <laughs> 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 um, 
we were talking about, you know, how the Democrats like Newsom, uh, uh, Biden, Kamala, now that they're in office, they seem to be able to get away with a bunch of stuff. And your point is an interesting one that, uh, yes, now running for president is going to be a little bit different. 2020 was such an aberrant year that. You know, I, 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 I don't know what you can say about it with 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 fact checking and truth telling. But if Gavin Newsom wants to take his California wares to Iowa and New Hampshire, which he has to do, uh, you're, you're telling me and I think you're right. It's a different environment there. It's not New York media. It's not D.C. media and it's not the L.A. Times. That's right. In South Carolina after that. Right. I mean, it, right. It, it, you right. Uh, just the way the primary calendar is set up, you really do have to look at how this act will play. Uh, and it's true. You're absolutely right to say that the campaign has begun in earnest by uh, our Governor Newsom. Those were campaign funds. Yeah. And I think what was so outrageous about that as a Californian, uh, certainly not one that voted for our governor, but, you know, it's, it's one thing when uh, another state's governor uh, comes into California or advertises and says, you know, come to here for a better business climate. Yeah. The the fact, and you rightly point out, that Newsom is seeking to uh, respond to the fact that we are not a great business climate with a, with with some sort of pitch that um, we are a better civil rights climate um, is is just a really an outrageous message for a Californian who believes that many of those issues are not ones that we should be known for. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, there was a great response to that yes, advertisement yes. by, of all people, a city council member for the city of Berkeley right. who, who tweeted out and said that it's, it's hard to sell yourself as a progressive, you know, uh, uh, place that everybody wants to come to when your median house price is eight hundred thousand yeah, dollars that's that's right and and that really is the, that really is the message we can talk about all these so-called civil rights that we offer here in california but the reason people are leaving are all the economic and cost of living issues by the way I, you know i said this the other day in that in that ad newsom does in florida he once or twice he says something along the lines of join us in california where we still believe in freedom i was making the comment that i you tell me if i'm if i'm right or wrong i, I might be wrong I, I was making the comment that i don't even think democrats in california think that their state is the state of freedom. I think they have other values and virtues that they're happy to promote ahead of freedom. But I don't I don't even think Democrats think that it's exactly the freest of states. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Or maybe their definition of freedom is just different. I, maybe well, I'm I don't wrong. think so, Seth. I mean, I, I, again, we've talked about the how we appraise the recall effort right, here right. in the past. And, right. and again, mo when most people think about the recall effort, they look to the result in the ballot box. But I think I think that is going past the fact that one and a half million Californians and many Democrats, who I know personally, by the way, signed that recall petition uh, because of the lockdown measures, uh, both for schools and businesses. So to be out there with a freedom message in light of uh, what was a recall effort uh, not even a year ago is uh, I mean, it, it takes quite a bit of uh, moxie. I'll put it kindly.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, ta- it would take some moxie, and 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 it's just another part of it is you were talking about the city council councilman or councilwoman. I'm sorry if I got it wrong. But, yeah, councilwoman. Okay, That's councilwoman right. from Berkeley. You know, I know five or six really progressive Democrats in California, uh, in Northern California, particularly, and. Even they over the past year or so have been saying things like, well, I think we're going a little too far on this woke stuff. Mm -hmm. I think, And it's not as if they have uh, anywhere to go, and it's probably not as if they'll ever really vote R, or at least probably not this year or in two. But if you want to define slippery slope, this is it. This is what we're talking about. When even the progressives are saying – I think we're going a little too far on this stuff. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, you could listen to us and try it. Florida is at every level a freer state. Arizona at every level is a freer state. By the way, Arizona is one of the states your governor won't allow travel to for state employees either. That's the other part of it, isn't it? It's not just doing contracts in other states. It's that no state money can be used to travel. That's right. If there's a conference uh, in in Phoenix, for example, that – would invite uh, government employees, they would not be able to go. Now, That's what's correct. hilarious about this and sad and sick is that Newsom is in one of those states with, get this, Pete, a state-paid security apparatus, a state-paid-for-security uh, retinue. That's, That's right. really interesting. Supposedly there's an exception in the law, but what a G what – I can't say it. What a, what a hypocrite. I mean, unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. No, that's right. And again, it. it There's a lot of states. You know, (laughs) I don't even know that this is constitutional. To be honest with you, I don't even know if. Well, and again, the way that it was communicated and handled by the governor really was, um, and and even some of his top supporters, his cheerleaders in the media, remarked that he really did not communicate clearly who was paying for that security support. And even, as you say, it being, quote-unquote, legal, Mm -hmm. uh, again, because of these other issues involved and because he was really uh, looking to shield himself from having to answer that question, it just made, you know, it created a tempest in a teapot that was not necessary. Yeah. And and the thing about him is, I think at the end of the day, I'll move on to some other stuff after this break, Pete, but I think at the end of the day, the thing that bothers me most about Gavin Newsom is there's no sense of shame. There's no sense of shame whatsoever. Uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said the worst form of shame is having none. He has none. He has none. I I have to say those Florida ads were just a a demonstration of that. I mean, the hubris it took to go into another state, understanding that so many Californians, the U-Hauls, are leaving here and going there and saying, yeah, but you can come here essentially because we have abortion. Yeah. I mean, is that what we're going to be known for? By the way, you're right, because I don't think people move – for social reasons. I know they threaten to. They threaten to leave for Canada or whatever like that. They don't move for cultural reasons. They do move for economic reasons. They do. They sure and and do every day. Every day. (laughs) You see it every day. Can we talk some education when we come back? Yeah. Uh, The NEA was in Chicago. I'd love to run some of their language uh, by you. You're, you're, you're pretty skilled with the English language. and uh, uh, Maybe you can help unwind some of the sentences they're putting together for me over there. Okay. Yeah, I, you're the ch- I love you, Pete. We'll be right back with Pete Peterson from the Pepperdine School of Public Policy.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. If you're interested in a career or learning about public policy, that's where you want to be. Uh, Pete, uh, let's talk about a little education at the elementary and secondary level because obviously that's going to flow upward uh, and you're going to have to run into some of these uh, some of these charges at some point. By charges, I mean students. Um the NEA, the nation's largest teacher union, National Education Association, they had their annual one of their one of their annual meetings. It's a funny thing in Chicago uh, this 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 week. Can I read you one of their items of business? Do you mind? Yes. Please. NEA will publicly stand in defense of abortion and reproductive rights and encourage members to participate in rallies and demonstrations, lobbying and political campaigns, educational events, and other actions to support the right to abortion because, they tell us, still quoting, NEA is a social justice union that is a majority female and trans and gender non-confirming folks, F-O-L-X, who will fight against these attacks on our members and the reproductive rights of all people who are able to, close quote. I always have to say when I read this over the last couple of days, that's their language, not mine. Those nouns and verbs not matching, that's them, not me. But my gosh, Pete, my gosh, is this what education is about now, social justice uh, and non-conforming folks with reproductive rights for all people who are able to reproduce. They can't say women. They don't. Well, Seth, you know, we've talked about this before, the the political ramifications of what we're seeing um, back in the Virginia governor's race. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned before one of the first times I'd ever seen a, a political survey of uh, noting the response of parents with kids in public schools. Mm-hmm. And a couple weeks out from that election, that was 55-45 in favor of Yunkin. And when I saw that, I knew, one, we've created a new political category, right? And in, in, you rarely hear that noted. What, what, what do parents with kids in public schools think politically? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've created that political category by surveying them. But second, it's not really a purely Democrat or Republican category. Uh, you know, just as many parents uh, are Democrats who have kids in public schools as well. So for there to be a 10-point gap there in Virginia uh, in, a, in a blue state uh, for any category, much less one that cuts across uh, political identification like parents with kids in public schools, I think is, is something worth Noting, And so when you see a story like this, you see another example of parents becoming aware of the fact that teachers' unions aren't necessarily the teachers they love in the classroom. Right. And when that is able to be separated in the minds of a voter, because as you know, Often in political races, when the teachers' union gets out in front of a, poli- a particular issue, uh, those TV ads have a teacher out in front yep. saying, you know, if you care about teachers, oh. then that you ought to vote for candidate mm-hmm. X. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For the first time, uh, and a lot of this is precipitated by the response to COVID, but now we're seeing in, in some of these highly ideological stances that are being taken by public stances being taken by teachers' unions. Uh, Parents are now newly aware that when they see that teacher uh, on the television ad, that there's actually a a pretty ideological force 
behind that teacher. And uh, they can love their teacher all they want, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to vote for who the Teachers Association says uh, someone should vote for. You know, you're making a really interesting point about the NEA ruining the brand. Um, yeah. In, in one sense. And they can't help themselves. Right. Well, that's the other side of that coin. Go ahead with that thought, and then I'll go. I'll, I'll do it. You see, Go ahead and make that point. They can't help themselves. No, the ideological nature of education, um, especially how we prepare teachers, has been going on for decades. And I would argue that this generational shift that we're seeing of younger teachers coming up through these highly ideological schools of education is producing certainly some teachers, but also a large number of administrators and union leaders that really do see education in highly ideological and radical terms. And so you see a statement like that, that they are not a teacher's union, they are a social justice union. And that's what they tell uh, the you. The separation yeah. from what is in the best interest of this kids. <laughs> let, let me hold I mean, you on that thought, because i got to take a break. That's such an important point. I want to come back on that and weave it into a discussion we did a few weeks ago on teaching as a revolutionary practice or re- revolutionary act or, or subversive activity. Can we do that when we come back and marry this? Absolutely. I think, I think you see where I'm headed. I'm Seth. He's Pete Peterson from the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Pete Peterson, Dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, is our guest. Pete, I have to give you an update on an earlier topic we were discussing. Um, you may not have seen this. I just came over the transom. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida was at some press availability, and they were asking him about those Newsom ads. And he said, i got to tell you, you know, as someone who grew up in the state of Florida, I just haven't seen that many California uh, – I haven't seen that many uh, Florida license plates in uh, in California, and I have never seen so many California license plates as I have this year in Florida. Uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know that's right. You know, and of course, yeah, and again, that's you know, all the data proves that, no. which makes ads like this, I mean, understandable because uh, Governor Newsom is so political. Yeah, but it really nonsensical um, because of the reality of what's happening. On the ground, I, lo- I love the license plate test. That's a good one. All right, so the NEA, with this position that they're staking out, telling the world they're a social justice union that is majority female and trans and gender nonconforming folks uh, who will fight against attacks on members and for the reproductive rights of all who are able to. Uh, Pete, is it a version of um, what we were speaking also about earlier, which is? They just don't care. I mean, yes, it's going to ruin their brand. Yes, I agree. Maybe they just don't. They, Hannah Arendt made the point that there's nothing so potent as ideology. And right. and, and, and maybe that in, includes the Democratic Party's chances of success in polling, too. I mean, maybe yep. they just don't care anymore. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it is more a matter of what they care about. Okay. And, and to your point on the Arendt quote, I think – they have become so ideological that that is really the sum total of what they care about. Uh, you know, we never in that statement are students or children <laughs> named as right. people of interest. Right. And, right. uh, you know, it really is about their members 
and not just their members, but particular issues related to their members that are highly ideological in their nature. And so once again, as we saw with the lockdowns and responses to the lockdowns, uh, you're seeing a teacher's union, in this case the, the National Education Association, stake out the fact and define themselves as really being an ideological uh, a political organization. Now, what's so interesting about that is I do know conservative K-12 teachers. Yeah, me too. And, I do too. I have and some in this they audience, are not yeah. being represented right. by this union. Right, right. And yep. that really is the challenge. I mean, they, they themselves are once again, uh, you know, being pushed to the side by the uh, left-wing energy uh, that is now the, the NEA and the vast majority of, of teachers' unions. Pete, we talked a couple weeks ago about this 60s. It really it really flowered uh, in the 60s, uh, came out of an obscure, uh, 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 not anymore, but once upon a time, obscure Marxist theorist, uh, Paulo Freire, um, this notion that teaching should be a political activity and not a uh, what's the word I want? Not an education. I mean, not a uh, you know, not an educate, not a pedagogic activity. That's right. Or or what we would see in another contest for uh, context formation. Right. That, that you're not looking to uh, essentially uh, help students find their own talents, gifts, and abilities. They need to be moved into a, a particular direction, identified in a particular way and respond to the world in such a way that everything that came before you uh, needs reforming, if not overturning. And, uh, of course, that is, you know, that's, is what we're seeing, reading there, what you've read there in that statement, is very much a Pal Frere type of yeah. approach to education, in this case, in the form of their union. Yeah, and this is why you hear them say from time to time, that they are not the parents' kids when they're in the classroom. You got that from the governor's race in Virginia, but you also got it from the president of the United States about a month ago when he was talking to a group of teachers at the White House. When the kids are in your classroom, they are yours, right? There really yeah. is a weird – we used to do en loco parentis for temporary, you know, uh, temporary absence of an adult figure – but there's another related phrase, parents patriae, which is what the schools that looks like to me are becoming, where the state is the parent. And it's not a temporary thing. They, I think they really believe that. I really think that. Did you see the City Journal article by, um, uh, by, uh, Lior Sapir about the ch psyche, uh, uh, affecting the psyche of children? I'm going to send it to you. I didn't see that. I, I got to send it to you. It's an amazing yeah. story about teachers. We've 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 heard about this, but he documents teachers, you know, concealing from parents the transgendering of the children and and parents discovering quite by accident different names in their kids backpacks, et cetera, because those are the names they want the teachers and the teachers want to call them. But the teachers are in league with the children and keeping it from the parents. It's a mighty power grab, isn't it? It is, and of course, again, it, it falls in line with that broader revolutionary mindset when it comes to education. And yeah. in that instance, parents are seen as uh, antiquated, um, reactionary um, authority figures, uh, and ones just like so many other areas of, of society that need to be either overturned or critiqued. And uh, again, that's 
because you're starting from a place of just such an ideological viewpoint, parents are seen as ones who are standing in the way yeah. of these issues. Uh, how much of this do you work? I mean, I, I know where your heart and soul is, Pete. You care about this because you're a public citizen who cares about you know what happens to this country. But on a professional level, how much of this concerns you about you know what flows upward from here into the college and the post uh, post baccalaureate uh, educational careers of students. I mean, you're going to face this stuff at some point, I presume. And maybe this yeah. is self selection at the graduate level. I don't know, but no, there and and there is at the graduate level. You know, I I thought it was interesting the the latest graduate survey by the Harvard Crimson of the graduating class of 2022. Uh, they they actually do a terrific job of surveying the graduate class on a variety of issues, both political and social, cultural, and and so forth. But on the political identification, they found of this graduating class, uh, less than six percent identified themselves as conservative, yeah. and the vast majority were, yeah. were progressive. But the interesting second layer question was. Um, where does that compare to where you were when you entered Harvard four years ago? Right. And there was only a minimal shift. Yeah, yeah. So there, that, that goes to the self-selection. Maybe a point yeah. or two yeah. to the left. Yeah. And so, obviously, you're in this place where it's not Harvard uh, brainwashing the kids so much as hardening their ideological yeah. positions right. that they bring in uh, to campus in Cambridge, and that certainly is reflective of a lot of colleges and universities. That is coming up through grade schools and high schools and onto the college campus. When we next visit in a week or so, Pete, I would like to pursue the question of what it means when conservatives self-select out of these programs. Can we talk about that next next time? Absolutely. We visit? I, I would love your thoughts yeah. on that. We've done it here and there on the professorial level. Let's talk about it at the student level, too. Pete Peterson, bless you, sir. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your time and your generosity and your intellect and friendship. Always great to be with you, sir. You betcha, Thanks. Pete. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back with some closing thoughts. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Y-Refi. If you're looking for a really unique investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check them out, investyrefi.com. They're offering a no-load fixed interest rate up to 10.25% for investors in a secure and collateralized portfolio. These investors are doing really well by doing good, doing good by helping others get out of debt the right way, doing the right thing, paying off their debts. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. And if you're interested, as I say, check them out at investyrefi.com. Investyrefi.com or give them a call at 855-316-3087. If you missed my first hour, it's where I did endorsements and rationale for my endorsements uh, of the candidates. You can get all that at 960thepatriot.com on our website if you missed it. Uh, and uh, as someone pointed out, you didn't do superintendent. And that's right, I didn't. Uh, I apologize for that. I ran out of time. Uh, for me, the superintendent to public instruction race is a no-brainer um, because it has everything to do with brains and toughness as between one candidate who has it all and one who doesn't. Shiri Sapir is the only answer there. Shiri Sapir, S-H-I-R-Y, S-A-P-I-R. This woman is tough as nails. And, boy, the woke are going to have a real fight on their hands going up against her. 
a real fight on their hands, which is what I want. And it's a fight she's going to win. Shiri Sapir is my choice for superintendent. Speaking of education, she also, you know, like us, like you, like we, we, um, she believes in the durables too. She believes in the important things and she will do everything. And I, I've kicked her tires too, man. I have kicked them hard. This woman is strong. That's who you want as your superintendent, Sherry Sapir. If you want my other endorsements, check out my first hour for my reasons and rationales for them at 960thepatriot.com. It's been a long week, folks. Have a great weekend. God bless you all, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.